All right. Um, this morning we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. And in verse 14 we read, When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As Jim already mentioned, this is Reflections last Sunday in 2018. We began this year with the Lord's Supper in January, first Sunday of uh, January of this year. And now we complete the year once again with the Lord's Supper. It's, it's kind of a way to sum up 2018 and to step in to 2019. It's also the answer to a question. And the question is, um, for me, when am I going to get it together? Uh, and, <laughs> And I, I can, yeah, right. Yeah, I'll let you all know. Um, you will know. Um, I can tell you that the answer is not 2019. Um, the question is, how is God going to work his way into our everyday lives? He has no problem working his way into our lives here this morning. He's already here, and, and we're here, and it's easy to just go with it. But how about all of our chores and responsibilities, our concerns and our anxieties, all those thoughts and feelings that distract us from him all the time, all of those busy activities that make us forget him. And when we're out there forgetting him, How is he going to work his way into our lives? How is he going to be real to us in those moments? And the answer is that God inserts himself into our worlds, our busy worlds, through us. Through our bodies, he enters our busy lives. Of course, first of all, he has to enter our bodies and... That's the mystery of the Lord's Supper. Somehow, through the bread and the cup, God enters us. We make ourselves permeable. Um, We open ourselves to receive him. This is how, excuse me, this is how we crook. This is how I imagine it happened in the upper room. Jesus had arranged 
for a room to be prepared for him and his disciples to celebrate Passover. So when they came, it was already furnished. As they filed through the door, the disciples saw a low table, and by low I mean actually resting on the floor, and cushions around it. They would literally recline at the table. They would lie down on the floor, on on the cushion, resting their weight on one elbow, with the other hand free to reach the table and to feed themselves. They would probably see that the table's already been set, the food has been prepared and laid out for them. And there would be terracotta lamps burning on the table, their wicks uh, already smoldering. I'm pretty sure that as Jesus walked into the room, he also noticed near the door a pitcher of water, a large basin, and a towel. This was so that the guests' feet could be washed as they came in. Uh, So even though they had bathed earlier in the day, walking the dusty roads of Jerusalem, they would collect dust on their feet, And it was just a nice expression of uh, uh, congeniality to wash their feet as they entered so that they'd be all clean. The pitcher, the basin, and the towel were invisible to the disciples. They did not notice that at all. They were invisible in the sense that we don't pay attention to things we see every day. So they're not going to pay attention to this. After all, it wasn't their job. It was up to the host or a servant to perform this this, this, uh, customary courtesy to them. And I'm not the servant. It's not my job. They just ignored the pitcher, the basin, and the towel. After they were all seated in their places, and I'm pretty sure that Jesus arranged the seating that evening, though I doubt he used uh, name cards. But they're all sitting there. Jesus stands up. He walks over to the door. He takes the towel. Well, first of all, he takes off his robe, his outer cloak, hangs it up. He takes the towel, and he wraps it around himself, and then the pitcher and the basin in his hands, and he walks over to the first disciple and begins washing his feet and then the next and then the next this makes it a very awkward moment for the disciples Peter is so uncomfortable that when Jesus comes to him he says what are you doing oh what have I done (laughs) thank you (laughs) it's that guilty conscience thank you so much Joe Peter is, is so uncomfortable, he says, Lord, what are you doing? Are you washing my feet? And Jesus assures him there's a point to this. Be patient. It will all make sense in a moment. After he's finished, <clears throat> Jesus resumes his place at the head of the table. And then he says to them, I have given you a living illustration 
what I've just done for you is what you need to do for each other. Really take care of each other. Um, Serve each other. Be humble. Be the servant. And let others be more important than yourself. And after explaining that, he told them, a new commandment I'm giving to you, that you should love one another as I have loved you. Well, to love others was not a new commandment. They had the commandment from the time of Moses, love your neighbor as yourself. But what's new about it is Jesus does not say, love one another as you love yourself. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So the person who says, well, how can I, you know, if I love others like I love myself, basically I'm going to hate them because that's how I feel about myself. So that's no longer an excuse. Jesus says, well, then don't love them like you love yourself. Love them the way I've loved you. This complete, perfect, wonderful, all-embracing love. When it was time to come to the meal, Jesus gave a brief speech. I think something like this was customary at Passover time, though what he tells him is somewhat different. First, he tells him how deeply he's desired to have this evening with him. This is very strong language Jesus uses. Uh, It's actually a Hebrew idiom where you double a word to intensify its force. I have lusted, yes, lusted for this evening together with you, to celebrate Passover. In Passover, Israel relived their exodus from Egypt and renewed their covenant with God. But when Jesus presents it, first of all, there's an urgency in his speech, this this eagerness he's had, this, this long waiting for this night to come. And then he says, to have this Passover before I suffer, Something is coming after this. And he's been trying to tell them, and and up till now they still haven't understood him. He also tells them, I shall never eat this Passover again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. So even though the Passover looked back to an event, it also looked forward to a consummation of all of God's promises to Israel being fulfilled and then coming to rest in his kingdom at last. So Jesus has expressed his deep desire. He's done it with a sense of urgency. And then the expression on his face changed. His eyes narrowed. His eyebrows came together. And his voice was strained with sadness as he told them, one of you will betray me. One of you whose hand is on the table with the rest of us will betray me. And the disciples start looking around and they look back at him and we're saying, well, certainly I'm not the one. Certainly I'm not the one. And Judas, and they're all saying, Lord, certainly I'm not the one. Judas says, Rabbi, doesn't call him Lord. He says, Rabbi, I'm not the one. And Jesus says, well, you've said it yourself, Judas. And 
after that, a reverent darkness rested over the room that whole evening. And we can feel this as, as he goes on. Then almost as, as if offering a toast, Jesus lifted up a cup of wine and he gave thanks. If we look at the Seder feast or the Passover today, his, his thanksgiving was, thank you, almighty God, for the fruit of the vine. Thank you for holy days. And thank you for sustaining our lives that we all could be here to celebrate another Passover together. He gives thanks. Next, he took a loaf of bread in his hands. Those hands, those rough carpenter hands, or if a stonemason, those, those dried out, cracked hands. He takes this loaf of bread in those hands that have healed the blind and the deaf, the leper and the lame, those hands that have lifted children, that have been placed on the heads of children to bless them. Those hands that hours later would be nailed to a cross. With those hands, he took the bread and he broke it. And then passing it to his disciples, he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This was not the normal script for the Passover. Jesus was supposed to speak of Israel's oppression in Egypt and how God called Moses to go to Pharaoh to demand that he release his people and that with mighty miracles, God brought about Israel's liberation so that they could be, belong to him and not to Egypt. <clears throat> but Jesus is saying, from now on, do this in remembrance of me. But what did Jesus mean by this bread is my body? Now, I'm sure the disciples are, are baffled about this, uh, but no one said anything or asked any questions. They had been baffled many times before by things that Jesus said and always come up with the wrong answers themselves. So they're just going to let it ride and wait for him to reveal its meaning. What does he mean? This bread is my body. Eat it. They just ate the bread and did like they were supposed to. And instead of remembering the Passover in Egypt, from now on, they would be remembering Jesus. Only the word remember doesn't mean what we think it means. I remember the good old days. It means I, I might recall an event. The memory here is to not recall or repeat, but to re-experience. That there's something timeless about the Passover that Israel could always tap into. Uh, the covenant could always be renewed. It could always happen in the here and now. Back in the there and then. Not anymore. Always now. This present moment. And Jesus is saying this always when you take this bread and break it and eat it, know that you are again in this present moment as I'm giving myself to you 
and you're receiving me. And so the disciples do that. He's, he's saying that this event is happening now whenever you remember it, you observe it. After each one had swallowed his own portion of bread, Jesus lifted up the cup of wine. The disciples had heard Jesus talk about cups before, uh, giving a cup of cold water to someone in need, or those hypocrites who wash the outside of a cup. They should pay more attention to the inside and not just how it looks on the outside. The inside is what matters. And then he uses the word cup in a special reference. Um, James and John come to him and said, Lord, we would like you to do for us whatever we're about to ask. And Jesus says, what are you about to ask? And they said, well, in your kingdom, we'd like to sit right next to you, one on your left side and one on your right side. And Jesus doesn't say right away, well, you can't, or maybe. What he says is, are you able to drink the cup that I must drink? And there, even the unknown of the cup is a little bit scary. He's saying, are you able to suffer what I'm going to suffer? Not having any idea what he's talking about, they immediately said, we're able. We can do it. I think that when he looked at them, into their, their eager, brave eyes, that he saw their future. And he nodded, and he said, you will drink the cup that I must drink. But I can't give you what you ask. Only my father can. And then later, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and like us, when we go experience, through experiences of deep grief or hard suffering, he begins to bargain with God. Father, if it's possible... Let this cup be removed from me. I know you can do all things. Take this cup, but not my will. Your will be done. And he's talking about the cup of his suffering, what he's about to endure. When they come to arrest him, Peter's going to defend Jesus. He's like James and John. You shall not take my Lord. And he pulls out a sword and I'm sure he's aiming for the middle of the guy's head, but he's probably not that experienced with the sword. He just cuts off his ear. And Jesus tells Peter, sheath your sword. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So moments before, take this cup from me, but he's resolved now. God's not going to take the cup from him, and he's going to go through with it. Shall I not drink? drink it. I look close at the cup that Jesus is holding, and I can't really imagine it. Whatever it is, it's not Indiana Jones in the temple of, or you know, the, the lost cup or whatever, the holy grail. It's not that. You know, um, 
In the time of Christ, all around the Roman Empire, and especially in Syria and Lebanon, places near Palestine, cups would often have decorations or inscriptions. There'd be sayings on them. And on some cups, there was the saying, rejoice, that is why you're here. It's almost like a toast. And you look at the cup and it tells you, rejoice, that is why you're here. The interesting thing about that inscription is it's exactly what Jesus said to Judas when he came into the garden to identify him. Just one word difference. The word rejoice, Jesus changes to the word friend. And when he gets the kiss, he says, friend, that is why you're here. Is it possible that the cup Jesus holds has that very inscription on it? The saying must have been well known. It may have been a toast. We, we know that it was common because so many of these cups with that very saying have been uncovered by archaeologists. And there's more than one in Toledo, Ohio, in a museum there. One in Britain, one in uh, Italy that we know of, and in Syria and other places. The cup Jesus held out to the disciples, he told them, was filled with his blood poured out for them. Hadn't been poured out yet, it soon would be. And just as he had spoken of a new commandment, now he speaks of a new covenant. And again, it's possible that this made little sense to him, to, to them. How could this cup be, be his blood poured out for us? In fact, it was forbidden in their law to ingest blood. They weren't to do that, not the blood of an animal, any blood. But again, they just accept the fact that Jesus is full of mystery And it's better to go along with it in faith than to discuss or argue. So they ate the bread and they drank from the cup. And whether they knew it or not, they became his forever. Do you see that I have not preached a sermon? I haven't preached at you. Um, I just told you a story. So that's fairly innocent. But I'm pointing this out because I don't want you to think, all right, what did I learn today from Chuck's sermon? You didn't learn a thing. I just told a story. I don't want you to think, okay, what am I supposed to do? What new Christian practice am I supposed to uh, begin doing every week? And, And generally, I try to give you something to go out with something that will help in your life in God. But not today. I don't want you thinking that way. Whatever this morning is about, it all happens right here now. It's all right here now. And I'm not giving you anything to do or anything to to learn or discover. I'm just presenting once again that moment with Jesus 
in the upper room where he gives himself to us. And he tells you the bread is his body and the cup is his blood. It's important to Jesus that he gets his life inside of you. Christianity has never been about (coughs) rules, not even the golden rule, and, and doing that to the best of your ability. It's never been that. Christianity has never been about perfecting all of your beliefs, being rock solid in your doctrine, and and having no mistakes in it. It's never been about that. It's always been about God getting his life inside of us. And, And we want that. I want that. You know how sometimes a mom looking at her baby and just again falling in love with it says, oh, I could just eat you up. (laughs) What does she mean by that? What do lovers mean by that? I could consume you. It means I want to take you so deeply inside of me that I can no longer clearly see the distinction between yourself and myself. I want to take you so deeply inside of me that you're with me wherever I go and I never lose you. I never lose this moment. And you know when you take someone like that into your life you never do lose them. You never do lose them even when you're separated by miles or death. They stay there always. Jesus says I want you to take me inside. I want to penetrate your shell. I want to be there in the loneliness of your soul. Another presence within you all the time and everywhere. And this happens when we eat the bread and drink from the cup. I want to be fully present to this moment. When I hold the bread, I want to be here and now completely. I want to forget next week, last week, distant places, troubles and heartaches. I just want to be here with Jesus, for Jesus, to receive Jesus. One time when visiting Israel, my my grandson, Drake, uh, who I haven't seen for a while, just saw him last Sunday night, um, three years in the Air Force, uh, first Smith to be in the military for like three generations. Um, But when Drake was, wow, only like two or three years old, Uh, He went with his mom and dad and us on a tour of Israel. And when we came to the Garden of Gethsemane, we received communion there. And his mom thought, well, Drake's old enough to to get this. So she began to quietly explain to him what we were doing. And when the bread passed, he took some and ate it. When the cup came, he drank it. And a moment later, he looked up 
at his mom and he said, I want some more of Jesus. <laughs> he, he, he got it. I want to experience that night, the new commandment, the new covenant, and I want God to enter me. I want this for myself, and I want this for you. So what we're going to do now is receive the Lord's Supper. There are two tables set for you, and I'm going to ask the first row on each side to go first, take the bread and take the cup, but don't eat the bread and don't drink the cup until everyone's been served. Just take it back to your seat. And after the side rows, then the center rows. And when you get back to your seat, I want you just to be in the moment. Feel the bread. Look at the bread. Experience it. When you put it in your mouth, don't immediately start chewing. Just feel its texture in your mouth for a moment. You have all these great neural receptors in your tongue. Let them do their work. There's not much to taste, perhaps, but there's enough to feel. Just experience that. And then after the bread, look at the cup and what's in it. And for those of you who worry about this, it's non-alcoholic, so we're okay. Um, but just hold the cup and feel it in your mouth. And perhaps feel it all the way down your throat into your stomach if you can. And imagine the Spirit of God entering every neuron of your body. From your forebrain all the way down to the soles of your feet. And know that God is in you. And for as long as you live, Jesus is with you. In the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the rain and the soil and the seed that brings grain. And for those who raise and harvest it, for those who grind it, turn it into flour and bread. And we thank you that it comes to us. Today we appreciate it perhaps much less than those who had to do all the work themselves. Yet still we thank you that you feed us. Thank you for the bread from heaven that is true life. Let us know today what it is to receive this bread through Jesus. In the same way, he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to his disciples and said, all of you, drink this. For this is my blood which is shed for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death. Not because it was a beautiful thing. Not because it was a majestic or awesome moment. It was cruel. It was wrong. 
It was painful. But it was generous. And it reveals to us the depth of God's love for us. That he would go to any lengths to send his son for us and allow him to become to us the one who loves so deeply he's willing to die in our place. We thank you, God, that today we can be here for this moment with your people surrounded by your spirit, embracing the mystery of your life in us through Jesus. After everyone has eaten, we're going to have our normal silent prayer time so that we can just sit with this moment and then we'll be dismissed. But you can begin on the sides now, front first row, to come and to serve yourselves. <laughs>